Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. We're going to continue in this series um, that we've been in for some time. I don't know when we exactly started. It's been a while, but we're in the book of Mark. And so Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're going to jump into that here in just a moment. I want to say, uh, once again, that, that I never would ever subscribe to the, the idea that someone comes into this place and sits down coincidentally. So if you think, wow, man, I, I, I can't believe that, that, uh, that this sermon's being preached today, then I would say, like, praise God, because we didn't know it would be either, right? I mean, this is, the, this is the beauty of going verse by verse through the scriptures, that we just never know when we say, like, you know, months from now, when we're in, you know, chapter 12, what will be going on? But God does, and that's what's amazing. And I've seen throughout the past year us having just said, you know, we're just going to preach faithfully through God's word, and it just always working out so with so much relevance, right? It's it's amazing to see. And so I think today is no different. And and today is going to be a a a day that we're going to be able to look at the faith of a man and kind of evaluate our own faith. In that sometimes it's difficult to have faith. Can we agree with that? So we need, to, we need to make sure that we have established before we jump into the sermon that this is a, a safe place for us to say that we are not perfect and that we are not full of always just overflowing of faith. It's a safe place and so much so that you can rest assured that when a pastor comes and stands before you, that that pastor may or may not be at the, the peak of his faith experience in that moment. That at times when Pastor Greg stands up here, he may be far more weaker than you realize in his faith in that moment, or, or likewise. When I get up before you, there might be weeks where I'm like, man, I'm really feeling it. Like, I'm feeling my faith is strong. Those moments are great, right? Right? <laughs> Have you had these moments? Okay, good. Just making sure, make sure, because y'all give me a lot of head nods with the, the not having faith. There is some faith in the room, right? Okay, so faith is good. But when we are wrestling and we are struggling and we are, we are, when we have this moment of, God, I don't, I don't have the faith, I'm struggling to believe, that's when things seem to get really real. The truth gives us many things. The truth gives us hope. It gives us joy. It gives us meaning. When you have the truth, like you're like, man, I have meaning, I have purpose, when you know that something is true, like without a shadow of a doubt, it feels good to know like that thing is true. Like I know exactly where I'm going to go to lunch after here. And that feels good to know. Like I'm going to go and I already know what I'm going to order. And so I know like that is the truth that, that is going to happen. And I can say that like I'm 99% sure that that's where I'm going to go and where, what I'm going to eat. I'm 99% sure. Now, I'm not 100% sure because as humans, like, we know that, like, there's always the, the variable, right? You could always get a phone call, or I could walk out there and, like, you know, I drive a 2004 Scion XP. It really may not start, you know? These are, these are true things. And so 
even in the things that we are most assured of in our life, the things that we are the most confident in, I am so confident in anything that you want to fill in the blank there. Can we be that confident? Couldn't there always be, like I said, a, a phone call or a doctor's report or you know, an unexpected bill or whatever it might be to the, to the greatest you know, severity of deterrent to the most minuscule of inconvenience? We try to say, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to do this or that this is going to happen, but do we really know? Because that's the natural world that we live in. Things change. We don't know. We don't know who's going to be what, who's going to be running for what office or what's going to take place, or if the United States will always be called the United States. We don't know, right? But what Jesus is going to describe in what we're going to see in our text today is him saying, I know that you've been confident in all these other things that have failed you, because they will fail you. We've all had lunch plans that we thought were going to go one way and went a totally different way. And that's just a simple thing. But what about the big things that we think, well, this, this isn't supposed to happen this way. I'm not, supposed to, I'm not supposed to be walking through this type of season in my life right now. What do we do in those moments? Because the truth, yes, it can give us joy and hope and meaning and, and those things, but it can also give us pain, can't it? The truth hurts. We say that. Man, the truth hurts, and it does. Sometimes it hurts to be told the truth, to be said, like, this is, this is your reality. This is the truth. I think one thing that truth gives us that is one of the most glorious things is that it gives us confidence. Because truth is, though it is hard to believe at times, especially when we're questioning our current state, the confidence that truth gives us is what Christ is so desperately trying to convey to his disciples is if you would believe in this truth, and they're going to get it, and it's not going to come until later in Acts chapter 2, right? But if you believe in this truth, if you can, get, if you can grasp this truth, then I know that your suffering will be worth it. It will give you confidence in your pain and in your suffering. It will give you confidence in your joy and in, in your hope or your lost hope. The truth does amazing and miraculous things. And so in Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be begin. And uh, I'm going to ask if you would just stand with me for a moment as we honor God's word. That's something we do week after week, believing that God's word is infallible. We respect and honor this in this moment. So Mark chapter 9, I'm going to begin in uh, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithful generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has uh, often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But he But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. And immediately the father saw the child and he cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that, so that most of them had said, he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you. We give you thanks for your word. My prayer This morning, Lord, is that your people on this day would be gripped by the truth that we find in it. Grip us, stir our affections for you in such a way that it renews our faith, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I don't know if you remember, in 2008 a uh, movie came out called Vantage Point. It was a weird, it was, uh, you know, it's got like 6.5 stars, you know, on IMDb. Whatever you want to say about it, Dennis Quaid, uh, Forrest Whitaker. The movie is this. I remember sitting in the theater and watching it, and it's it's kind of like Groundhog's Day a little bit. Like, it's just the same story told eight different times from eight different vantage points. That's the point. And uh, it was a really unique movie at the time. I think there's been movies made since like it, maybe movies before. I, I don't remember. I just remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is really unique. That we're getting, this story is being unfolded. Every time you see the story, you think you know a part of it. And then you see another vantage point and more of it becomes revealed to you. And so it was a, an interesting dynamic. And so in a way, I'm going to do that a little bit with this sermon. I'm going to just kind of give us different perspectives. I, I counted at least seven different perspectives in this text, but I want to just cover a few of them uh, as we kind of look these things over. The first perspective that I want to give is just a, a quick takeaway. It's not going to be what we're going to spend the most of the, this discussion on. And that is last week, if you recall, Jesus had just went to the Mount up to this mountaintop experience, the transfiguration just took place. Remember Jesus and and all of his, you know, his being glorified in this moment with Elijah and Moses. And it's this wild moment where his three disciples have been invited with him and his, his clothes are like bright white and there's so much that's happening. And his disciples, I mean, Peter, you know, it's comical. He's like, what should we do? It's good that we're here. Let's make some tents. Like he's, you can tell that he's like, has never experienced something like this. And Jesus, in that moment, we have to understand that in that moment, he is, a few things are happening. One, he's met up with some old friends. He knew these guys. And two, he's met up with his old, like the glory that he was accustomed to having before the incarnation, before his birth. So there's this wonderful, literally, like we hear this mountain, you know, you have this mountaintop experience. No, Jesus had a mountaintop experience like none other, other like, like something you and I could not comprehend. He was glorified in that moment, this transfiguration, this beautiful moment. 
And then we come down and we go right to the next text and here's just this dad with his son and, and we can so easily forget that Jesus just had this moment. Like remember, he's just lost his, like it hasn't been long. He's lost his cousin. He's done these things. He's getting persecution. All these crazy things are happening. Then he has this mountaintop moment and then he comes down and he sees his disciples are weak again. There's more people that need to be healed. The scribes are still doing their, like he just goes back and reality sets in. Has that happened? Where like you have had this amazing moment and then you, you're like, oh yeah, this is my life, right? You go to someone else's house and it's so nice and clean and they're so hospitable and then you open your door and you're just like, dang it. <laughs> like this is me, yeah, I, I guess those dishes don't get cleaned, you know, if no one is here. Reality sets in and so from Jesus' perspective, he has this mountaintop experience and he comes down and, and there is reality. But I think the beauty of it is still Jesus' response. That even though he's had this amazing moment, that he can handle the pettiness of this world. Because yes, he's frustrated. But at the same time, he's compassionate. So that's the beauty, this, this perspective. That, uh, another, perspective that, another perspective that I don't necessarily want to get out of the way, but I want to just cover kind of quickly is the demonic perspective. Let's just kind of jump right to the t chase. Like, whenever there's a, uh, a Q&A, like pastors sometimes, uh, pastors like to hear themselves talk. If you didn't know this, this is true. Never met one that didn't. Uh, so if you ever, sometimes if a pastor doesn't have anything that he can do, or just like, I don't know what, what to do this week, maybe a Wednesday night study or something like that, not on a Sunday morning, hopefully, but like you got some extra time, it's like, you know what? Q&A night tonight. Ask the pastor questions, right? Sometimes it's a, it's a fun thing. But always, there's always the same type of questions every single time. Um, the Nephilim will be mentioned, right? That's number one. The Nephilim will be mentioned. Um, uh, other things, you know, where did sin come from? You know, deep questions that we all, we all wonder. Another question we'll, we'll often venture down is demons. You know, someone will, always, there's always a Brian Corbin in the crowd that'll just be like, what you think about demons? You know, <laughs> like there's always that guy. They're just like, come on, Brian. And so we'll get into it. We will enjoy talking about it. And there'll always be this sort of perspective. So let's jump to it. And I, and I want to speak just for a second is what's happening because in this text, we're seeing different levels of faith in play. We're seeing the scribes who have no faith. We're seeing the disciples who are like, weak in their faith. And then we see this father who seems weaker in his faith, but, but not really. We'll, we'll kind of hash that out. But we don't see explicitly written is the faith, the belief. One, Jesus believes. Jesus believes what he's saying is true. Every time Jesus speaks, he knows it's true. That's why he's getting frustrated because he's like, you guys aren't believing what I'm telling you is true. And I have a perfect track record. Everything I say keeps happening and you're still questioning me. So we know Jesus' belief system is pretty strong, very strong. We also know that the demon definitely believes what's going on. Second most to Jesus. Other than Jesus, the demon knows the most what's happening. He's like, I get it. I know because there's no discussion with Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, come out and we see the boy starts convulsing and the demon's just like, peace, like I gotta go. There's nothing else I can do. I mean, James says it this way um, in, uh, in James chapter two, verse 19. Dale, I didn't give you any text. Sorry about that, man. But that's pretty much all I've got just out there. Um, James chapter two, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James is kind of being sarcastic, like, oh, you believe in God? Congratulations. 
The demons shake thinking about God. That's how much they believe in him. And so we see this belief. So if there are two types of people, or let's say for the sake of the text, two types of forces that understand what's going on, it is certainly Jesus and it's certainly the demonic, which leads us to believe that this is a spiritual thing. This isn't just a kid with a seizure. This isn't just a kid who's just having a fit. This is a spiritual thing that is taking place. Before we go any further, I just want to let you know that your suffering or your belief or your disbelief, whatever it might be, those are spiritual things. When we suffer, especially at great scales of suffering, that is a moment that we often are, are sort of our chin is grabbed and we're kind of play, focused right in that situation, head on, saying, look at it. We have to face it with either belief or disbelief. But we are easily distracted people, easily distracted, very distracted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to play a game. I'm going to show you just how distracted we are. This is horrible for, for the podcast, but I don't care. Um, so we're, I'm just going to play a game and show you just how distracted you are. So I asked Ashley if she was going to be in here. Great. I'm going to use her as an example because there's a few things you need to know. One, we're cousins, and two, I love uh, putting her in a little bit awkward situations. So I'm going to play, so actually, I'm going to play a game with you, okay? You're sitting on the front row. No one can see how red your face is turning. All right, so the game is I'm going to make you say no, okay? Like, seriously, I'm going to make you say it, and we're just going to play a game. All right, so, no, you can't, don't give up that quick. Don't give up that quick. That's not fair. That's not fun. Don't give up that quick. All right, so we're just going to play a quick little game really quick. All right, so imagine there's three doors in front of you. One to the left, center, and to the right of you. All right, think about that. Which door would you go through? Okay. All right. Okay, wait, wait, no, no, no. Oh, that's fine. Left, left, left. That's fine. That's fine. Left. All right, now you go through that door, and there's three more doors. One to the left, one to the center, and one to the right. Which one do you pick now? Wait, have you played this? See, I got you. I just made her say no, because seriously, like it's that easy to distract someone because what happens, see, she just said no, just for everyone that understands that quickly, her brain gave up because she was distracted by different doors because the point of the, the, I mean, 10 seconds ago, I said, I'm going to make you say no. And in her mind, no, no, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no. Then just three, two sets of doors gone. The purpose of the game she completely eliminated. Is this making sense? Is that helpful to you a little bit to show you like, and that's not actually like that game works 100 times out of 100. Like even if you're like, well, I'm some sort of intellectual. No, because you're trying to figure out the game. And it just shows you that in this life, we can be told over and over and over that this is the point of your suffering, sin. And this is the, the actual thing that will bring you deliverance, Christ. And we know it. And you know it right now because you're agreeing with me. But when you leave out of here, you're going to say, left door. Those doors didn't mean anything. They mean nothing. They're insignificant. But the, but the, the demons, the, the demonic, know how easily we are, how quickly we forget to glorify God in all that we do, how quickly we forget to fight our sin, to love our neighbor, to serve our wives, to not provoke our children. The list goes on and on. 
the demonic shows up to distract us. Our suffering can distract us. Even the things that we find joy in can distract us. The best news that you could receive might distract you. If it pulls us away from what is actually going on, that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, that there is a real, real spiritual war that's taking place. So that's the demonic perspective. And then we have an unbeliever's perspective. This is those that were, that were arguing. Verse 16, Jesus says, what are you arguing about with them? Jesus is, again, coming off of this amazing moment, and he says, guys, what's the argument about? There's these people that are gathering. Jesus is frustrated in this moment because uh, Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to, slows, is slow to anger quiets contention. What he's saying is that, look, this isn't, you guys are arguing about stuff. They're, I mean, he sees the situation. He sees the need. And of course, he's Jesus. He knows what his disciples have already been asked. Like, hey, would you minister to, to my son? And they're going to stand over here and argue doctrine, probably, procedure, tradition. Look, if you enjoy an argument, this might be the greatest time to be alive. Isn't it? You can go to any app at any time and watch anyone on their live video arguing about anything. Anything. We can argue about anything, <laughs> right? It's actually impressive. But arguing does not produce belief. This is what Jesus is getting at. Like figuring out the, the, the right formula to, to the right theological debate that you can come to some magnificent conclusion will not win anyone. I've had this amazing privilege of introducing um, you know, quite a few people to the Lord in my life, in ministry, and never once have I done it by winning an argument. I've never once said, gotcha, and that person just say, you're right, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> it never ends that way. And so we have this unbeliever's perspective that's just getting, getting distracted by the things, getting distracted by the procedures, the policy, which leads us to this, this casual belief that we see here in the disciples. Look at verse 19 real quick in our text. And he answered them, O faith." Less generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I mean, he, Jesus is like, how, I've, I've, this has been a couple of years now, guys. Like, I keep showing you guys this stuff. You guys keep proclaiming the right stuff. Like, yeah, this guy's different. This guy is, you know, Jesus. I've given you the power. And we even know that his disciples, a few chapters before, remember, they were sent out. And they went and had some amazing times. It even, they even come back and say, we've even casted out some demons. Remember? They've already done this. So Jesus is looking at them and like, what's the difference now? Is this a bigger, badder demon? No. You're getting caught up in the things, that, the, the tools that I haven't given you. Well, what are the tools? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 28. And when he had entered the house... His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Basically, like, what, what were you guys doing? 
It seems like such a simple answer. What were you guys doing? You guys were doing the thing. You, so wait, you guys weren't talking to God about this? Because remember, this is a spiritual thing. So you're telling me you weren't talking to God. You were, oh, oh, you were trying to use your intellect. You were discussing things. With, you were having a debate with the, with the scribe. You were trying to figure this out. You were trying to diagnose this kid. It, maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe he's not demon-possessed. Maybe he just needs a doctor. Luke, you know? Maybe that's what they were trying to figure out. Maybe they were just trying to be practical. Prayerlessness haunts the church. It does, it did then and it does now. It haunts the church because we have more people than not who are walking around in the name of God, doing God things, prayerlessness, without prayer. Well, have you tried? I mean, we can, we can put up all the things. It does not take a group of Christians to set up church. It doesn't. This is very easy to do, <laughs> right? We just unload chairs. We put up this wrinkled. It's eventually going to get right. TV, check, everything. We're good to go. There has to be more. That's, that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying. Like they're, they're neat. He's like, guys, I understand that this is how this works in every other area of your life. I know that like being ultra prepared is really helpful. It's going to be nice. I love going out to lunch uh, with uh, Greg and Ashley because Ashley is always more prepared for my children than I am prepared for my own children. And I really respect that about her. And I love that. If you've ever been around Ashley with your kids, you just know like your kids will be better taken care of than you can take care of them yourself. It's amazing. I'm like, how many things of Play-Doh is in that purse? I have no clue. But I guarantee you right now there's Play-Doh in that purse. Is there? Yes. Guarantee it. She's prepared and I appreciate that. Always prepared, over-prepared. Jesus, and that's, the disciples are just trying to do their thing. Like, I'm just trying to, you know, you know dot my eyes, cross my T's. And Jesus is like, prayer, man. But yeah, but we were going to get to it. When all else fails, pray. Jesus is like, what? This isn't, that's, that's, how, that's what the world would say. Like, I had nothing less so I, left, so I just fell to my knees. And Jesus is like, should have done it first. You know? There's an accountability that God wants you to have in him. There are moments in your life where he, he may, he will strip what seems to be everything around you that is solid, that is secure. He might strip those things from you and say, what are you going to rely on now? Because that thing that you thought was there isn't there anymore. Let me give you a, a good example uh, you don't have to turn there, but you can, I'm just going to kind of give a, a paraphrase of the story here in, Ju in Judges 6 and 7. You see the story of Gideon. And Gideon is given this army from the Lord. It's amazing. I mean, could you imagine being a leader? I love leading people. I love it. The bigger the group, the better. Like I love big group. I love team building and, and team meetings and strategy. And like, I love seeing a team work really, really, really well together. It just brings so much joy to me because I know like this can be productive. I like having nine men on a, on a baseball field that you just know it doesn't matter who hits the ball where, they're going to gobble it up, right? That's a good feeling. Gideon is given an army. God gives Gideon 22,000 people, 22,000 men, and God asks him, says to Gideon, Gideon, go to those 22,000 men and ask if any of them are afraid. And if any of them are afraid, Send them home. 
if I were getting it, I'd be like, I do not want to ask this question. Because <laughs> like at this point, like, like who cares if they're afraid? You know, we're going to war. Everyone is going to be afraid. All right, God. And I'm going to, to, to make this more of a story. Then I'm going to add some, some interject, interjections here. So, but it is true. Judges 6 and 7, 22,000 people. And then he says, if anyone is afraid, send them home. 12,000 men say, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Boom, 10,000 people. That's who's left. All right, God. I got it. 10,000 people. 10,000 men. I can do this. We can do this. Right? And I just imagine God hearing that kind of attitude and, and thinking, you're right, you could do this. I don't think that's what I want. I don't think I want you doing this. So Gideon, here, go down to the river, and uh, I want you to take those 10,000 men, and if any of them drop down, and I know they're thirsty, you know, they've been out there, they've been training, I, know they, if, I want you to have them drop down to their knees, and I want you to have them drink there from the brook, and if any of them lap it up like dogs, send them home. And Gideon was just like, these guys are the most roughneck guys. These are the guys that won. These are 10,000 men that aren't afraid to go to war. I don't think they're going to be care. I don't think they're going to care about sticking their face down in the stream, right? These are menly men. <laughs> okay, God. And he says, I want you to do this so that they won't boast in the wind. I want you to do this. He says this to Kenny. I want you to do this with them so that they won't boast. So that at the end of the day, everyone will say, wow, God has done something. So he tells them, he takes them down to the water and whoever's going to drink like a dog, he's going to send home. 10,000 men drop to their knees. Some of them begin lapping up the water. In fact, 9,700 of them <laughs> began lapping up the water. And I can just imagine Gideon just being like, do you guys not have manners? Do none of you have manners? And so now I'm, I'm going to take not just, I'm only getting 300 men who say that they're brave enough, but also want to drink their water like this, like a little teacup, that those are the men that you're giving me, God? And the lesson here is the same lessons that the disciples need to learn, that when God gives us tools for the job, those are the tools for the job. That when God says, look, your greatest weapon will be prayer in your greatest moment of suffering, don't think that he's joking. God doesn't get data rewards when we pray to him, <laughs> right? He doesn't get miles added to his card. Anytime someone reaches out to him, we're not doing him a favor. He's saying in your greatest time of need, in your greatest suffering, in your greatest moment of disbelief, seek me. Prayer is mentioned as a weapon in scripture and you are mentioned to be in war. These are both very true things. We fight we fight for all sorts of things. And we want to fight spiritual battles with natural swords. Peter cutting off the ear of the guard in the garden. Perfect example. Did Peter really think that that ear was going to stop the Christ from being crucified to save the sins of the world? No, but he was like, I got I to gotta take care of this situation. I got I to gotta do something. I've got to grab the cloak. I'm going to grab this dagger and I'm going to, to just start swinging it.
This is what we fall into constantly trying to fix spiritual things with natural weapons. John Calvin's commentary on this, he paraphrases Christ's words in what he's saying, and he says it like this in Jesus' response. He says that it's like he's conveying to them this, that you seem to be engaged in a mock battle that was built for amusement, but you have to deal with a powerful adversary who will not yield to the battle has been fought out. He's like, you're looking at this thing like like this problem is meant for amusement, the way that you're fighting. You don't realize the adversary hates you. He wants to devour you. He wants to take everything from you. He wants to steal everything that you have. Your joy, your family, your marriage, your health. He wants to take everything And so we have this casual belief, the ones that are going to fight with just the natural things. And then there's this this perspective of the Father, this help my belief, help my unbelief, this, this story of what seems to be this man who has come who is obviously grieved. He's watched his kids suffering. I mean, there's nothing more tragic than watching your child suffer. Any even decent parent would say, I'd much rather it be me than my kid. You don't want your kids to suffer, to go through things, or to to feel pain. At the surface level, this man is the one that seems to be struggling with his faith. However, Mark holds up this father as a model for sincere, struggling, saving faith. The father sincerely wanted to believe that Christ could help his son. Like seriously. And maybe that's you. Maybe maybe you're in a situation right now where you're just like, God, I seriously need you to help me out. Like, God, like, can I, can you throw me a bone? Like, please, can you help me in this area right now? I will travel. I will ask strangers. I will do anything. I will inconvenience a man who just had the greatest moment of his life up on a mountaintop having something happen that I don't even understand. I will ask him even. I will go to the scribes. I will go to anyone. I will ask in front of the crowds. Struggling but sincere. The father wanted so badly to believe that Christ was the man that this man believed him to be. The father looked at his, this father looked at his son every single day and was reminded of his doubt. Reminded every single day when, I, when he saw his son, I, I, have, I have been praying that this would end and it hasn't. Every day, the demonic violence that was happening in his home and outside of his home, watching his son getting thrown, throwing himself into the fire, into the water, having to save himself, seeing the scars on his son that this demon would leave him with, reminded the father, this father, maybe my, maybe my faith is not enough. The brokenness he must have felt 
The father looked at his son every day and was reminded. Our problems, as we look at, they will remind us how much control we really have. Suffering will do that to you. Pain will do that to you. It will show you this thing that you thought you had control over, you don't. This job that you thought you'd have forever, you won't. This person that you thought would always be with you, maybe they won't. There's a reason why our problems can't just always be fixed with natural things. There's a reason why the rich still cry, right? There are just some things that we cannot fix. So maybe that's you. Maybe you would say, man, I am really struggling in my faith. I've come here today and I am struggling. I believe, help my unbelief. Like, God, I believe that you are who you say you are, but please just like show me. Look at verse 23 in our text. It says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can. (laughs) Like this guy is like, if you could do anything. And Jesus is like, you have no idea the jackpot you just walked it to. If you can, you have no idea the safety that God gives us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Remember, this is what we see in the Old Testament. That the, the I always, uh, that was, I remember that being the first word I ever broke down in the, in the Hebrew. That was the first word I ever did, that word tower. And I spent two weeks studying that word tower, first word ever. And I, I was just looking over it and looking over it. And the more I looked at it, the more I, it, it was, it, was this word that meant flower tower, which I always thought was cool. That's what it means. The name of the Lord is a flower tower. It's not just this tower of refuge, but it's this tower that when you look at it, you say, that is beautiful. It's not just a place that you go and you hide that's damp and cold and and you're there alone, but it's this beautiful structure that is built that the righteous can go to and find refuge in. And if you're just looking around and life just seems gray and cold, it's miserable out there. Like literally, it's miserable out there today. Thank you. (laughs) Find refuge in him. All things are possible. I mean, he's looking at this man and, and I'm sure he's just thinking, you have no clue. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I, I want to just say that that is, a, that is a perfectly decent thing to say. In fact, we sing songs like that. Make my heart believe. I believe this, make my heart believe. Lord, I, be, I know that you are all loving but I need help knowing that right now because it doesn't feel that way, God. Lord, I know that you are all caring, but it doesn't feel that way, God. I know that you are for me and not against me, but God, I'm just saying it doesn't feel that way right now. So that's the perspective of of this father who's brought his son 
But I also want to share the perspective of the son, because we, I don't, I don't think I've ever preached really that perspective. Like, here's this boy that's literally like kind of the protagonist. Like, he's the one this whole story is about. You know, he doesn't have a line in it, right? He's, he, he's just this one that, that everyone's saying, like, something's going on, something's wrong. Like, here we have all these different perspectives, but the boy, the afflicted, After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. I can't imagine the father in that brief second of, well, way to go. I took him to you. Yeah, I guess you got rid of it. You got rid of him too. And we've already read the text and Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose and it's beautiful. And it's absolutely an illustration of of salvation. I mean, Jesus says, bring him to me. So he's the one that calls. He says, I see the uh, the affliction. I see the the sin. He heals him of that. He dies to self and he's risen again. It's it's, It's perfect. You don't have to, I mean, that's so easy. I don't have to do anything else with that. But that's not everyone's story. Not everyone gets this natural resurrection. I mean, Abraham asking over and over, God, when's it my time? When's it my time? I mean, I've been staying in this land for 10 years and I still don't have the land. You know, maybe you meant it through Hagar. Let's try that. Maybe you meant it, maybe you meant it if my wife got pregnant. Maybe, maybe not by me. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's all these different scenarios that he's going over in his mind and it works out great. I've always loved the story of John the Baptist. And the reason why is because I'm a bit of a pessimist and the story doesn't end how everyone wants it to end. It doesn't end how Hollywood would want it to end. John has these amazing moments. I mean, uh, prepare ye the way of the Lord, right? I mean, he is standing there and he's this magnificent moment of his disciples and him saying like, no, my disciples, you go with him. He's better. And Jesus even saying like, man, this is the guy. Like no one has ever been, there's never been a greater man born of a woman than, than that man right there, John the Baptist. Amazing. Jesus comes down in the water and, and says, John, will you baptize me? And John's thinking, what? Me? Baptize you? And gets to. Could you imagine that Jesus gets baptized once for all eternity and you're the guy that gets to do it. I, can't, I couldn't fathom forgetting one person that I have ever baptized. I couldn't even fathom it. I don't even think I can remember. I, I, I couldn't even forget the side that I stood on that person because it's such an amazing moment. And John with Jesus? That's great. And that was John's moment, no doubt. But where does John end up going? He gets arrested, doesn't he? He gets arrested and he's thrown into jail. And what is it that John thinks? He thinks, you know what? Maybe Jesus isn't even who he says he was. Like I was supposed to, I was the one that built up this posse for him. I was supposed to be a part of this. God, is this your plan? And yes, Jesus is out there and he's talking amazing stuff about John, but John is in prison wondering, when am I going to get to be a part of the ministry of Jesus Christ that I have been proclaiming? 
And what happens to John? He loses his head. He's killed. Well, that's not the end of the story. That's not, that's not, and he took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So are you telling me that not everything on this earth will be solved on this earth the way that we want it to? Yes. That's, pre- that's precisely what I'm saying. I, what I'm saying is that I'm not here today to tell you that your story, that every day will end with happily ever after. I'm not saying that if you give to the church, you will always be financially blessed. I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, you'll never have an issue. I'm also not saying that I understand all that you've been through or the suffering that you're going through now. But I can tell you what John the Baptist is proclaiming now and will proclaim for all eternity. That it is Jesus who is our hope. It is Jesus who is our faith. That is what our faith can rest on. That, that even in our imperfect faith, even if our, even our mustard seed of faith day, right? When we feel the absolute lowest, when we're in prison and we're just thinking, I've done all these things for the Lord, why isn't he doing these things for me? Even in those moments where we are the most questioning our reality, God is still good. Help us believe. God is still faithful. Help us believe. God is still love. Help us believe. God is still for you and not against you. He is still provider. He is the alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the rose of Sharon. He is all of it. He is everything that you need. Don't grab your your dagger and start swinging for the closest ear. It's foolishness. This kind of thing cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That's what Jesus says. This kind of thing, this kind of issue that you're facing right now, well, you don't know what I'm facing. No, I don't. I, you're right. But I know it can be fought in prayer. We were made for war. Don't let this world convince you that a recliner, a remote, and a cold beer is what is the end to all end. Don't let the world convince you that comfort is where the warrior is best to belong. It was David that was in the most trouble in his life when he looked at Bathsheba, he went out into the, the, the front of his, his stoop at the top of his king, at the top of his castle and he looked out and, and he sees Bathsheba bathing and he goes in this crazy moral failure thing. But what we don't see in a couple of verses before, it says in the, in the season where all the kings were meant to go to war, what does that mean? It means David wasn't supposed to be there. He was supposed to be at war. He was supposed to be battling. But instead, he decided, I'm going to be comfortable, and there's a beautiful woman. Easily distracted. Today, my prayer is that you will grasp the reality of the spiritual warfare that is impeding your life. That you will stop calling it 
the natural things that you keep calling it. Well, if I just, if I just had this much money, or if I was just at, at this weight, or if I was just at this height, or if I just had this car, or if I just had this job, if I, if I just had blank, 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 whatever it is, whatever the natural things that you keep thinking you need to get to get to where you want to be, that is a lie. And you're getting distracted by little arguments. The good news of the gospel is that we get Christ and it is his faith that fills us. Give us faith and help our unbelief. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.